Podcastle, episode 322, for July 29th, 2014. Saving Bacon, a Podcastle original by Anne Leckie. Rated PG. Hello, and welcome to Podcastle. I'm Anna Schwind, your host and co-editor, and I have a special treat for you today. If you remember Podcastle 79, Marsh Gods, and Podcastle 52, The Nalander, then you are familiar with Anne Leckie's fantasy setting of gods. Her gods are worship batteries, accumulating power through offerings and prayers from humans. They can then use that hoarded power as they deem fit, often in pursuit of more power but sometimes as bargaining chips with humans. If they choose to expend their stockpiled potential in a task bigger than their stored power can accomplish, they are destroyed as gods. So they must be especially careful to keep from lying, which leeches away their power trying to make the lie reality. That, of course, doesn't make the gods any less crafty, and, like making a wish, Asking a favor of the gods is all about careful word placement. Today, I am delighted to tell you we will visit that world again and meet the bird god Ritter Peck with a hilarious tale of matchmaking and pork belly futures. I have been told that in Shakespeare, a comedy ends with a wedding, while a tragedy starts with one. This story, in homage to P.G. Woodhouse, starts with a wedding plan and ends with bacon. I am particularly pleased to tell you that this story is that rare beast, a Podcastle original. You will not have read or heard this one anywhere else before. So yes, not only do we have an Anne Leckie story for you, we have a new one. The story is read for you today by our very own Alistair Stewart. Alistair has done so many different things here at Escape Artists that I'm bound to omit something in this introduction, for which I apologize in advance. He hosts at Pseudopod, he has hosted at Escape Pod with fair regularity, and has read any number of stories for all three of our podcasts. At Podcastle, he hosted and chose the story for Podcastle episode 254, Sunday by Matt Wallace during our guest editor month. He also read Elizabeth's Bear alternate history, Wayne, together with the wonderful Marguerite Kenner from Cast of Wonders. That was episode 213. Alistair has been associated with escape artists longer than anyone else currently working here, and his hard work has been a keystone to the longevity of the enterprise as a whole. If you count my slushing stint at Escape Pod, and I do, why wouldn't I? I have the second longest tenure on the production side, and my time is less than Al's by at least two years, if not more. However, if you added up all the time Mer Lafferty has been associated with escape artists in different capacities, though not continuously, she probably comes close to Al in total time served. I suggest that this is a good week to let Al and Mer know that you appreciate their near decade of dedication to weekly audio stories. And Leckie is the author of multiple award-winning first novel, Ancillary Justice, and a former associate editor at Podcastle. And now, with bonhomie, I introduce the highly eligible bachelor Slale in Saving Bacon by Anne Leckie. Saving Bacon by Anne Leckie The continuation of the race is, of course, the first and highest priority of those privileged to be born into the ancient family of Vakashtar, and I, Slail Vakashtar, am so privileged. As a male, I am unable to perpetuate the family name, but one still likes to promote connections to other families of similarly distinguished ancestry, connections that, so I'm told, increase the wealth and influence of our noble line. Still, I had a distinct lack of enthusiasm for it when Aunt Annie tried to marry me off. The morning after my twentieth birthday, I was awakened at an unholy hour by a tremendous pounding on my door, punctuated by sniffling snorts. For the first fifteen seconds, I thought if I ignored it, it might go away. 
By 30 seconds, I was certain whatever it was would soon become bored with its own monotonous pounding and snorting, and at 45 seconds, I staggered out of bed, flung a blanket around myself for modesty's sake, and opened the door. I was greeted by the sight of my ten-year-old cousin, Athnol, a pink and black piglet at her feet. "'What are you lying around naked for?' asked the child. "'Aunt Annie says to come to breakfast in five minutes!' She held up a hand, fingers outspread. The piglet snuffled by way of emphasis. Starting two minutes ago, she smiled, the gutter snipe. I've got to get dressed. Athnal rolled her eyes. Slail vacastur! You lazy good-for-nothing, she piped. Anyone decent has been up and dressed hours ago. <sighs> I suppressed a shudder. Despite her diminutive stature and childish voice, the imitation of Aunt Deanie was uncanny. What are you doing with a pig, anyway? Mother gave it to me for my birthday. Piglets, I grant you, possess a certain charm. But full-grown pigs are not particularly endearing. What on earth are you going to do when it grows up? A beatific look overcame her. It's not a pet. It's an investment. It eats scraps out of the kitchen, and it doesn't cost me a thing. Twenty-seven pounds of ham, twenty-five of sausages, fifty or more of roasts and chops. I will make an absolute killing. At her feet, the oblivious piglet turned around to begin scratching the other flank. Two minutes left! Come on, bacon! She nudged the pig with one foot and set off. It snorted happily and trotted after her. I dressed, slung a bit of cold water at my face, combed my hair, and was off across the courtyard. Which is actually a sort of wide opening in the middle of a loose U, formed by three buildings, one of which, of course, was the dormitory, where my room could be found. Another contained the headquarters of the aforesaid Aunt Danny. So, in traversing the grassy courtyard, crossed here and there with cobbled paths, birds chirping merrily, the open side giving on a lawn rolling down to what I assure you is a picturesque stream. I would have a relatively peaceful, even cheerful, few minutes before facing my doom. But acres of motley silk lay over the grass, obstructing every path, and right in the middle of it all was my cousin Niss, in canvas trousers and shirt sleeves, hands on her hips. Servants were afloat in the silk, some sewing and patching, some busying themselves inexplicably about a sort of wooden frame. The birds did still twitter, merrily even. One little sparrow landed on the frame and cocked its head comically at the goings-on. But it was not the spirit-sustaining walk I had anticipated. Slail, Ness called. Don't stand there gaping. Aunt Deanie wants you. I thought you were finished with this business. For weeks, Ness had built fires and set silk canopies over them and then watched the canopies fly up into the air. I established the basic principle, yes, she explained in a patient voice, as though she were trying to get some subtle point across to bacon the pig. Fire evidently produces a substance that rises, and one can capture it in the right sort of container. So, if I attach the fire to the container, it will be able to fly wherever I want. That was the sort of woman this was. Find a capital amusement like shooting silk canopies into the air, and then overthink the whole matter. Right then, I said, I have a breakfast engagement, and I edged my way around the piles of silk and across the courtyard to meet my fate. Slail Vakashter, you lazy good-for-nothing! Cousin Athnal had been but the palest of imitations. This was the real article, the formidable Auntie herself, the matriarch of the Vakashters presiding over the breakfast room in her favoured chair, a huge, deep-cushioned seat that should have made six foot if she was an inch Aunt any look smaller than she was, but for some reason I had never fully understood did precisely the opposite. I sent Athnal after you twenty minutes ago! I opened my mouth to answer. He was asleep, volunteered that blight on humanity, my little cousin. She sat on another chair, toes touching the floor next to a bowl of bread and butter, object of bacon the piglet's absorbed concentration. 
I knocked for ever and ever. He answered the door naked. Well, you lying little slayer! When roused, Auntie in his voice could crack granite boulders. I, incapacitated, subsided. Ethnal, said my aunt in a strangely gentle voice. Run along. I'm sure your tutor is waiting for you. Yes, Aunt Annie, the infant villain simpered, kicked her pig and ran along. The piglet looked me in the eye, gave a chuckling snort, and dashed off after its mistress. The table spread with bread, fruit and cheese sat at Aunt Annie's right elbow, well within striking distance. Of course, when it comes to Wandini, striking distance is a matter of semantics, since she is an excellent markswoman, and the breakfast table furnished a plenitude of ammunition. I knew from experience that the cheese would leave me smelling like goats for the rest of the day, and the crab-apple preserves would stain my jacket indelibly. Caught between my need for sustenance on the one hand, and certain danger on the other, I hesitated only a moment before determining that, come what may, I would conduct myself in a manner becoming my ancient and noble name. I straightened my shoulders. I approached the table. I served myself, and I sat in the chair the blister Athnal had lately vacated. How? Aunt Annie said, when my mouth was quite full of cheese and bread, are you going to attract a wife with this sort of behaviour? Inhaling cheese and bread is not an entirely pleasant experience. Well, I, I choked a bit more and finally swallowed. Do you intend to spend the rest of your life drinking yourself stupid, waking up hungover at noon? Honestly, Aunt Slayle! incapacitated once again before she died your dear mother asked me to look after you i hired the best tutors sent you to the most reputable finishing school as a result i could read up to a point do a little arithmetic i could dance without injuring my partner and sing more or less creditably i knew what to wear to nearly any occasion including an unconscionably early breakfast i could pick the right fork nine times out of ten and the tenth i could bluff my way to seeming fashionably even charmingly eccentric at least you're not a complete slob aunt annie said you'd lean up well enough you don't embarrass yourself at the table nine times out of ten anyway she frowned if you'd only find some productive way to occupy your time productive could she my nerve failed at the prospect could could she be talking about work not work of course you aren't capable of managing any sort of business i mean the sort of manly things that make a boy attractive and desirable gardening woodworking helping with the children I imagined myself tending to the dreaded cousin Ethnal, or those even smaller versions of her. The Vakashters produced and shuddered. What did you learn at that school anyway? Andini continued. Supposedly you could draw a bit and sing. I opened my mouth to say that of course I could sing, but the residual bit of cheese in my windpipe transformed my words into an inarticulate croak. That school has to have been good for something. Aunt Annie continued, surely you could be charming enough to get Trey's Tastayo to ask for your hand in marriage. I had at the moment a strawberry in my mouth, and I spit it into my hand in the nick of time, thus preventing my untimely death from asphyxiation. Oh no, aunt, no, 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 not erase Tastayo. The Tastayos were a grim lot. The one two years ahead of me, Erase's brother, as it happened, had earned the derision of every boy in the school by studying constantly and flat out refusing to drink. Within three years of leaving school, he'd gone into business for himself, brokering grain shipments, and tripled his already significant inheritance. Now, at first glance, Erase didn't take after the rest of her family, but she lacked a sense of humour. Once, when she was visiting her brother at school, I put a handful of beetles down the back of her shirt, and she absolutely failed to take the act in the spirit in which it was intended, proof that even the most sublime of comedy couldn't move her. Erase Tastayo is the best you can hope for, frankly, said Aunt Annie, and far better than you deserve, and she held up one hand, forestalling my feeble attempt to protest. 
Her brother is a hard-working and intelligent boy, if a touch womanish. I'd like to see him married into the family. I thought maybe he and Ness, but she doesn't seem inclined. Don't sit there making faces. I have your guardianship, and I intend to look out for your interests. Now, if I could possibly arrange it, you will marry Reyes Tastayo. Why me? I had at least ten cousins of marriageable age. Some of them even actively wanted to do it. There really is no accounting for taste. You weren't my first choice, Auntie Annie said, her expression that of a woman who's just found half a beetle in her breakfast eggs. But in her letter, Erase mentioned that she was looking forward to seeing you. Obviously you've met. You must have made some sort of impression. If Nis won't take her brother, we can at least lie with her. Beginning now, you will occupy your time in some sensible fashion, study perhaps, or healthy exercise. You will go to bed at a civilised hour and not lay abed all morning, and when a raise arrives tomorrow, you will refrain from displaying your many deficiencies. My, even coming from Aunt Annie, this was a blow to my pride. You will, she commanded, if you know what's good for you. Slail, dear fellow, I hear you say, you are a man utterly without difficulties. You have to merely disobey Aunt Annie and repulse Erase Tastayo, a task which you, with your great gifts, should find the work of a mere moment. And you are a free man. You have never met my Aunt Annie. It's no use saying you'd easily withstand the steel spike look in the boulder splitting voice until you've actually experienced these things. Such claims are little more than empty bravado. Besides, unmarried men are legally minors, and as a result, my inheritance, sufficient for a lifetime of companionably standing the occasional round down at the weasel, was in fact controlled by the aforementioned aunt. The owner of the weasel must have strongly resembled Athnal in her youth, proposed to give her money, and she poured forth warm smiles and kind words along with her excellent beer. Proposed to drink for free? Well... Suffice it to say, one brief message from Aunt Annie to the effect that my tab would not be covered, and I would no longer be greeted in that establishment with the affable jollity of former days. So, I did what I would ordinarily do in such a crisis. I retired to the Weasel, to take counsel with the other worthies who gathered there. Now, in less enlightened times, boys didn't go places like the Weasel. Not well-bred ones, anyway. Boys may generally have the advantage when it comes to physical strength, but rare is he who possesses intellectual subtlety. Here, of course, I am an exception amongst my sex. And impulse control. Take two or more boys, add sufficient alcohol, and the result is raucous laughter, off-key singing, and airborne food. Behaviour decent matrons frown upon. Women, hoping for a companionable pint in the local drinking establishment, are not pleased when their peaceful moments are shattered by pickled radishes splashing into their drinks, let me tell you. The proprietor of the weasel, however, has taken to the city fashion of hanging a curtain across part of the room, a curtain that is, I can tell you from extensive experimentation, stiff enough to be entirely radish-proof. In the gentleman's saloon thus formed, I could usually expect to find a few boys from neighbouring estates. Today there was only one there, a younger cousin of mine, Bayon, with a half-pint on the table in front of him, absently rolling a pickled radish to and fro. At my entrance he looked up. Hello, Slayle. Hello, Bayon. I sat across from him, plucked my own radish from the bowl, added it to the fray. I didn't know you were back from school. Bayon was barely eighteen, still attending the same school that had produced me. Holidays. Got back this morning. I had breakfast with mother. And the aunts. The memory inspired him to take a gulp of his beer. What are you doing up and drinking at an ungodly hour like this? Same as you, dear cousin. Breakfast with Aunt Annie. Once I met a woman who had fallen overboard in shark-infested waters. Her fellow sailors had thrown her a rope and pulled her out just as one enormous specimen snapped its jaws closed on the spot she'd occupied the instant before. When she told the story, she shuddered in exactly the same way that Bayon did. What did she want? he asked. I fortified myself with a swallow or three of beer. What she wants is me married off. I gave my pickled radish a heartfelt shove. It rolled right over the edge of the table, bounced a few times, and then continued along the floor, under the curtain, and into the main room. Sadly, this is not a legal play. 
and scores no points. To erase Tastayo. But the Tastayos are a frightful bunch. I waited as the full implications struck him, and the things you did to her brother. The baskets full of crickets let loose in his hallway. Buckets of water poured out in his bedroom in midwinter, and the windows left open until his floor was an inch thick with ice. I smiled at the memory. Then frowned. She cannot possibly want you. Aunt Annie believes otherwise and is determined to promote the match. You better fetch my radish. It went under the curtain a moment ago. We'll be for it if anyone finds it. Bayon was an obliging sort, and fetching a pickled radish from under a curtain should have been, with him, the work of an instant. But he delayed at the curtain, and upon returning, sank heavily into his chair, making a sound like he'd just been hit round about the midriff by a whole sack of radishes. Slyle, he gasped, I'm in love. I saw immediately that crucial information had been omitted from Bayon's statement. What, just now? With who? I don't know. Further use of my excellent intellectual capacity led me to the conclusion that the object of his rather sudden affection was someone he had just now seen on the other side of the curtain. With this conclusion in hand, and determined to investigate further, I rose, and went over to the curtain, pushed it gently aside, and surveyed the main room. It was empty, except for the proprietor of the weasel, leaning on the bar and chatting with a thin, pale, weedy sort who was asking directions to the Vakeshter estate. I returned to the table. "'My dear cousin,' I said, "'unless you have fallen so hopelessly in love with the proprietor of this fine establishment that you are no longer able to recognise her, the woman you refer to is in fact erased Tastayo.' We walked slowly back to the house, Bayon staring glassily into the distance. He couldn't just go up to erase and declare his love. Nice boys don't do such things, not without the risk of acquiring a reputation for being completely at the mercy of their masculine impulses and quite unsuitable as husbands. And Ben was, truth be told, a nice boy. She loves you, he said in a spectral voice. He could have used another swig of beer, but we'd unwisely left that behind in the weasel. I suppose there's nothing left for me now. I'll tell Mother I want to be a priest of Viterp. What a horrible thing to say! I cried, appalled. All the priests of Viterp I had met were terribly serious men who had obviously studied dreadfully hard at school. When they went accounting or administering things or brokering things, they were praying to their god. I mean, Viterp himself is charming enough, I grant you, but his priests! I shuddered. The last time I'd seen Viterp He'd asked me more than once to consider joining, and I'd been compelled to tell him that though I was certain his priests were all generous, kind fellows at heart, live and let live, I always say, I drew the line at actually being one. And anyway, Aunt Deany would never have allowed it. I thought Ritter must have been a few drinks the wrong side of clear-headed to even suggest the thing, truth be told. Though come to think of it, I don't know whether Ospreys can get a few drinks the wrong side of clear-headed. Oh, what's the point of anything? said Bayon. He stopped and sat cross-legged in the middle of the road. Get up, cousin. What if a wagon comes along and runs you over? I wish one would. A small brown sparrow landed on the road in a flurry of wings and chirped. Hello, Slayle! You look dismal! <sighs> now, when a small brown sparrow speaks to one, and furthermore one understands, said small brown sparrow, several possibilities suggest themselves. One might, for instance, be dreaming. I was, however, fully awake. Next on the list, I was losing my sanity, but my natural strength of mind rendered this somewhat unlikely. I was left, then, with the only possible conclusion. The sparrow was a god. Excuse me, I said to the sparrow. Are we acquainted? I'm not surprised you don't recognise me chirped the sparrow. I was an osprey the last time you saw me, and I don't visit the countryside much these days. I'm Ritterpick. I felt the beginning of an idea stirring. Ritterpick, old friend, do you owe me any favours? I do not, chirped the sparrow. Gods have to be tremendously careful that what they say is true. 
or if it isn't, that they have enough power to make it true. Here, here it is. There is no changing the past, and the god saying unambiguously that something hadn't happened when it had would end with his power draining endlessly away in an attempt to change the unchangeable. Unthinkably powerful gods had completely undone themselves by unwittingly uttering what was not and could never be true, godly powers or no. And here the sparrow sat cheerily in the middle of the road and asserted that he owed me no favours. Which was the end of my plan. I would have to find a new one. You were quite drunk the last time I saw you, said Returpic, but much happier looking. What troubles you? I outlined the situation as I saw it. Well now, chirped Returpic when I had finished. There's no need to be so negative about my priests, you know, but sadly Bayan is too young. You have to be at least twenty to be eligible. Oh wait, said Bayan. In the middle of the road? I asked. Yes. "'Wouldn't you rather,' asked the sparrow, "'come up with some plan to solve both your problems, "'one that will put Erez Tastayo completely off slail "'and put her on to you, young Bayan?' Till now, Bayan had sat in the road like a wilted, slightly mouldy pickled radish left in the bottom of a bowl. But at Reterpik's words, his back straightened and life returned to him, leaving him more like the sort of jolly, happy radish you can't help but throw at someone's head. "'Can you do that?' Bayan asked. I felt a jolt of hopeful anticipation myself. You could make a raise hate me and love Bayan, I suggested. Well, it's not that simple, twittered Returpic. I'm given to understanding that emotions are, at root, a matter of neurology and endocrinology. I specialise in fishing and boats. I overseas trade, some weather here and there. Imagine the damage I could do mucking about in someone's brain. Put that way, I could see the difficulty. But, I replied, struck with another brilliant plan. You could tell Aunt Annie that Bayan is in love with Erase and convince her to change her mind about me marrying her. There's a good chance, answered Returpic, that your aunt will dismiss Bayan's feelings or conclude that those feelings are inconsequential beside her own plans with Vakashtr, and it may be that Erase herself would still prefer you. Besides, Relations between me and the Vakashtr aren't what they could be. One could say there is a coolness there. Your Aunt Annie, I gather, resents the portion of her taxes that go towards my support, given that most of her investments are land-based. You gather correctly, I said. She'd much rather keep that bit of her money, but I've never let that influence my judgment. You've always been very affable in your dealings with me, chirped Returpic. Though it's possible your aunt's attitude has coloured your view of my priests somewhat, but I let that pass. I'll keep an eye on the situation, and if I come up with a plan, I will, of course, advise you. If you do as I say, and it turns out that you won't have to marry a raised Tastayo, you will, of course, owe me a favour. What about me? asked Bayan, still sitting in the dirt. Yes, I agreed. Change that to, if it turns out I don't have to marry Erase Tastayo, and Bayan does. We were sure to come out all right if Returpic was looking out for us. Anyway, what sort of favour? Oh, we can talk about that later, the sparrow said. I had, as I often do, another thought. It's no good if you get me out of him marrying Erase, but into trouble with Aunt Annie. I'll keep that in mind. Returpic hopped along the road and gave a preparatory flutter of his wings. Be ready to act on my advice. At any moment, and off he flew. Erase's early arrival meant I'd lost even my one day's delay of my fate. I arrived home to the news that Aunt Annie had commanded my presence at lunch, on the lawn leading down to the river. A long table had been set out on the grass and loaded with breads, sliced meats, eggs and fruit. To one side were smaller tables and wide cushioned chairs, and sitting in the chairs, Erase Tastayo, in close conversation with Cousin Nis, who was gesturing at her project that still filled the courtyard. In another chair sat Cousin Athnal, strangely pigless, and beside Athnal, looking like a boy who'd just walked into a wall and hadn't quite got his breath back yet, sat Cousin Bayan. The house held three or four dozen other aunts and uncles and cousins, but none of them were present. I concluded that this was intended to be an intimate event, but that Nis had already been in the courtyard, Athnal's preternatural ability to annoy me had brought her here, and Bayan had been drawn inexorably by the presence of the woman he loved. We rely too much on the gods, Ness was saying to Erase, how much we could do on our own if we only put our own minds to it. The gods have made us like children, dependent on them for everything. She frowned, and looked as though she might speak further. 
I was rather glad she didn't. I had no idea Nis had such strange attitudes, but Debray's seemed untroubled. I wonder what the world would be like without gods, though. She glanced over at the mounds of silk in the courtyard. Athnal, where's your pig? Bacon! called Athnal, and the silk in the courtyard rustled and writhed, and Bacon came trotting out from under it, his nose covered in dirt. Self-reliance, said Nis, gesturing emphatically with the eggs she was eating. What happens to a person when she's taught to rely on someone else for everything, when she has no strength, no ability of her own? Erase leaned to scratch the beastly piglet's ears. I kept a pig once. This information interested Athenal intensely. How much did you get for it? Only about three hundred, but I kept a ham and some of the bacon for myself. Athenal nodded, wise beyond her years in the matter of profit from pork. I'm not going to do that. Hello, Slyle, said Erase with a smile that set the hair on the back of my neck standing. How are you? Fine, thank you. Did you have a good journey? Tolerably. You're much more polite than when you were in school. I began to wish I'd said something extremely rude, or that I could in good conscience put another handful of beetles down her back, but I couldn't. Not in face Auntie Innie. He's not polite to me, announced Athenal. I had to wake him up this morning. He called me names. Slayle, said Erase, frowning, and I saw a ray of light in my darkness. Perhaps all I needed to do was to abuse Cousin Athenal, but no, the gutter snipe was a favourite of Auntie Innie's. The consequences would be intolerable. Don't you have lessons? I asked pointedly. The wretch simpered. Lessons, Bacon! she announced and ran off across the lawn, the pig close behind her. What an adorable child, said Erase. Isn't she? said Nis, not even glancing at Athnal. I'm planning a test launch in a few hours. I have a frame that will hold the fire, attached under the envelope, and the whole arrangement is tethered to the ground so it won't just float away. If it works, I'm thinking of attaching a sort of platform one might ride on. What if Retorpik were to find out and conclude you were threatening his shipping interests with this flying thing? Erase asked. At the god's name, I looked around, hopefully, but every sparrow I saw was indistinguishable from the others. I don't care what Retorpik thinks. Gods only have the power we give them anyway. If we stop praying, they starve. Why should we be afraid of them? She set down her plate on the grass and stood and strode off to where her toy filled the courtyard. I could only hope that such unconventional, not to mention possibly seditious, sentiments would cause Erase to declare her unwillingness to associate with the Vicaster and light off towards home, never to return. Instead, she only raised an eyebrow. Then she turned to me. Well, Slayle, how have you been? This caused Bayon to make that radishes to the midriff noise I had first heard at the weasel. Erase finally noticed him. Are you quite all right? she asked. Bayon was beyond speech. He's having a difficult day, I said. Try some licorice tea, Erase advised him. So, look at you, Slayle. Last time I saw you, you were just a little boy, and here you are all grown up. I tried to put a cousinly urgency and concern into my voice, but the words came out sounding like Bacon the Pig had just bitten me. So considerate, Erase said, smiling. She shooed me away with a gesture. Go, take care of your cousin. When we were well away, Bayon moaned, I'm going down to the river to drown myself. He sat heavily on a nearby bench. A tall hedge hid us from the courtyard. No, you aren't, I admonished. If you do that, I've no way out. Ben goggled fish-like. There's no one else like her in the world. She's pale and skinny and has no sense of humour. For a moment, Ben almost seemed to take offence, but then thought better of it. Well, that's all right, isn't it, if you don't like her? It won't be all right if I have to marry her. Where was Retorpik, anyway? He said he'd keep an eye on things, but while sparrows abounded, none of them spoke up with a comforting, Never fear, Slayo, I'll have everything in hand. The hedge rustled and snuffled exactly like Bacon the piglet. I looked closer, hoping a talking sparrow might reveal itself, but instead the aforementioned pig emerged, snorted happily, and set to rooting in the dirt with its snout. I looked at Bayon. Bayon goggled at me. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? he asked. How much do you hate this blasted pig? Another possibility suggested itself. Athnal! The wretched child laughed and came around to our side of the hedge. 
Hello, snail. Hello, Bayon. You look like a fish. Bacon the piglet cocked an ear, but continued to dig at Tabenshi's base. And you're in love with a raised tastayo. You're too young to understand, sighed Bayon. Athnor crossed her arms. I'm never getting married. Nor I, I said. Oh, yes, you are, the infant terror replied. Our Danny's decided. But Iraise hasn't, said Bayon, hope lending a pathetic air to his voice. Has she? What has she said to you? Did she say anything about me? Hardly, Athnal scoffed, but I did overhear a few things I shouldn't have. Like what? I asked, resisting the urge to throttle her. Well, said Athel, Erase's mother has been trying to marry off that dreadful son of hers. None of her women will have him, of course. It's a horrible, unmasculine thing. You should have heard Nis when Aunt Annie suggested it. We care nothing for Erase's brother, or Nis's entirely understandable objections to him, I pointed out. You should. The little brat actually chortled. It's because Nis won't have him that his mother told Erase to visit us on some pretext and make her choice of the available boys. And she wants a boy who's gentle and sweet. Someone to place a cool hand on her fevered brow after a hard day of business. I could do that, said Bayon. I would be very good at that. But why has she fixed on me? I asked. I put beetles down her back. I turned her brother's floor into a sheet of ice. She's angry at her brother for not having the basic decency to at least pretend to be a bit less ambitious and sweet talk this. All the Tastayos are just now, and the Beatles are just one of those things boys do. You can't help yourselves, but you grow out of it, and marriage is a civilizing influence. That's what Auntie Innes says. The child smirked. I was struck with one of those brilliant ideas that I am pleased to say is habitual. You could tell her that I am completely unsuitable as a husband, but Bayon would be an ideal candidate. She likes you, and little children can say almost anything and get away with it. I saw a slight resentful spark in the small cousin's eye at the words little children, but her mercenary impulse thankfully overtook it. What's it worth to you? Our undying gratitude, said Bayon. Athnal produced a sarcastic ha! entirely unbecoming to a young woman of her age and station. Bacon the pig looked up from his digging project, snorted in support of his mistress, and returned to his excavation. Athnor crossed her arms. I want another pig, or enough cash to buy one. We agreed. Bayon with pathetic eagerness, and cousin Athnor set off, her pig in tow, to speak to Erased Astayo. I took Bayon by the elbow, and we took ourselves off to the weasel before Aunt Annie could give us any further orders. We returned, slightly more cheerful, two hours before sunset. The piles of silk in the courtyard had become a floating globe, tethered and staked to the ground, straining upwards. Nis and Iray stood on the lawn watching, Aunt Annie's wall-like mass planted beside them. A dozen or so feet away stood Athnal, also gazing at Nis's toy. Before Bayon and I could join them, a sparrow fluttered down onto the path in front of us. Never fear, Slayo, I have everything in hand, it chirped. Here is the plan. Go over there and give Athnal a good solid kick in the bum. Your suggestion has its attractive aspects, I said, but I've already solved the problem. I described Athnal's commission and its price. Well, exclaimed Return, if it doesn't work, you've my plan for a backup. Bayon spoke. How will kicking Athnal, as enjoyable as that may be, I interjected, get erased to marry me? Try it and see, chirped the sparrow. No, thank you. I took Bayon's elbow and walked on to where Nis and Erase and Auntie Annie stood. Erase turned as we came up. Oh, hello, Slayle, she said and smiled that smile that made my blood run cold. We haven't spent much time together, have we? I felt Auntie Annie's iron spiked glare driving itself into the side of my head and winced. We'll have to remedy that, Erase continued. Bayon's condition had improved due to several hours at the weasel, but on hearing the love of his life speak, he became once again altogether fish-like, goggling and gaping. Bacon! called Athnal, and the piglet abandoned its intense interest in the dirt of the courtyard and ran over to her. She bent to scratch its ears. Let it up a bit, called Nis, and a servant did something with a rope. A stake sprang out of the ground, swinging in a way that necessitated a quick retreat on the part of the servant, and the silk globe rose straight up into the air, higher than the roofs of the surrounding buildings. It was still tied to a longer tether, though, and strained slightly riverwards as the breeze took it. "'I told you to put that stake in securely!' Nis admonished. "'I did!' the servant protested. "'Someone's been digging around here!' 
Bacon the pig sat on Athenor's feet, looking innocent. Its mistress was wrapped all her attention on the floating globe. Erez shot me another of her blood-freezing smiles, and a desperate anger seized me. The little gutter snipe hadn't carried out her mission. We hadn't actually paid her yet, which was all to the good, but still. When I decide on a course of action, I waste no time in pursuing it. I strode over to where Athnal stood, staring at Mrs. Floating Globe, raised my foot, and gave her a good, hard shove. Athnal tumbled forward, caught her balance, and wheeled, swinging an upraised fist in my direction. This disturbed Bacon's equilibrium. He took off, squealing in the direction of the rope that still held the floating globe pinioned. I jumped back, narrowly avoiding Athnal's swing. Look out! cried Niss. Stop the pig! Bacon's squeals took a higher, more urgent note. Athnal turned her attention from me to him. As it seemed I was safe from further reprisals for the moment, I did the same. The globe rose into the sky. The last long tether that had held it swung from its frame, and tangled in it, just above the stake, hung Bacon the piglet. Head down, squealing, floating inexorably upwards and off towards the lawn and the river. "'You beast!' cried Athel. "'Look what you did! Bacon!' She took off, running after her piglet. I turned both. Niss and Aunt Annie stood watching the pig-encumbered globe float away. Bayon goggled. To my utter shock, Erase laughed. "'Oh, Slayle!' she said. "'Thank you so much. It's as if you read my mind. Do you know that pig of hers bit me after lunch, and she demanded monetary compensation in case I'd given the nasty thing indigestion? And this whole afternoon she's been chattering on about what a terrible person you are, and how much better some cousin of yours is.' The sound of a demented fish in mortal peril emerged from Bayon. The import of Erase's words hit me like a plateful of cheese from the angry hands of Aunt Annie. Athnal had delivered as promised, and instead of showering her with thanks and pig money, I had kicked her in the backside and set her investment floating across the countryside. How far would she follow it? What sort of trouble would she get herself into? At any moment now, Aunt Annie would be sending me one of those iron spike looks. I had no choice but to run after the brat and rescue her and her blasted pig. I pass over the tedious details of the chase. Suffice it to say, six hours, a twisted ankle, and a nasty pig bite later, Athnal, Bacon, and I pull into the courtyard in the back of a farmer's wagon, along with the remains of Nissy's toy. The only person to greet us was Athnal's mother, who ignored me. I limped into the dormitory and up the stairs to my own room, where I collapsed onto my bed, and knew nothing more until late in the morning when Ritterpick fluttered in through the window and chirped cheerfully, "'There you are, Slayall!' It was perhaps due to pain and exhaustion that I could not imagine where else I would have been, and I said as much to Ritterpick without opening my eyes. "'You should get that bite looked at,' chirped the sparrow, "'and your ankle's all swollen!' I hadn't realised birds could make that tsk-tsk sound. Oh, and your Aunt Annie wants to see you as soon as you're awake. I reached for the blanket to pull it over my head, and discovered I had some time in the last few hours kicked it to the floor. That would be now, returned Bick, informed me. But you should bathe first. Slail the Castra, said Aunt Annie, not in a boulder-splitting voice, but something infinitely more terrifying. A tone that implied immense restraint and regret. I am disappointed. Experience had taught me there was only one approach to take in such a desperate situation. I looked penitently down. I'm dreadfully sorry, aunt. Disappointed, she repeated. Why didn't you just tell me you didn't want to marry Ray's Tastayo? But, aunt, I... Silence! The boulder splitter was back. Why didn't you just tell me you wanted to be a priest of Pick? One's voice works, I have been told, by forcing air through the throat. I tried this, and succeeded only in making a hissing noise. My failure to answer was of no consequence to Aunt Annie. Before she died, your dear mother asked me to look after you, and I have. I have always been concerned with your welfare and your happiness. I am frankly hurt that you would think me such a tyrant. But, but, Aunt, the steel spike glare silenced me. I have spoken to Ritterpick himself. Everything is arranged. Now go. I went. To the weasel, to be specific, just on the off chance the sparrow perched on the rafter in the gentleman's saloon was who I suspected it was, I flung a nearby radish at it with a vehemence that made the bird dart away and utter phrases of an indelicate nature. 
You didn't play fair, I accused. I said, here, sit down. Boy, breaks that old beer. The boy appeared immediately and the sparrow hopped onto a table. I said that if I gave you instructions and you followed them and subsequently didn't have to marry a race Tastayo, you would do me a favour. And you agreed. But I gave you instructions. You followed them. Are you engaged to Erase? And furthermore, once you've been gone an hour or so, Erase began to feel guilty for laughing at Athnal's indignity and to be alarmed at your impulsiveness. Bayern lost no time in laying his cool hand on her fevered brow. She has begun to be acquainted with the boy's many virtues and I'm confident they will be engaged quite soon, especially if he keeps going the way he's going. Here was cheering news. Bayern was a good sort and while I would rather eat ground glass than marry Erase herself, he clearly felt differently. There is, as I believe I said earlier, no accounting for taste. The affair still had its troubling aspects, though. But, I mean... Me? A priest? And how did you get Aunt Annie to agree? Oh, that was nothing a few tax credits could fix. And the fact that Afnall and Bacon the Pig made it home safely, as well as Nissy's flying thing. But you had nothing to do with that. If you told her you did, surely Ritter Pick hadn't actually lied to Aunt Annie, and you told her I wanted to be your priest? I did not. I may have omitted information that might have led her to a more accurate conclusion. The sparrow hopped onto the rim of the cup, dipped in his beak and pointed it at the ceiling. It's not particularly beneficial for birds, but it tastes good. Listen, now, your cousin Nis, she's onto something. Some gods believe they'll lose power if humans make too many advances. I disagree, and I suspect humans will figure things out whether gods want you to or not. I'd rather help Nis and be one of the ones to profit. But she wouldn't ordinarily even speak to me. This way, I cement my association with her family. I have an opportunity to do her a favour or two, and so I increase the chances that Nis will consider working with me. Yes, quite, but look here, I'm not suited to the priesthood. The sparrow took another bird sip of beer. I can use someone like you. A son of an illustrious and wealthy family with a fortune of your own. You know the right people. You have the right manners. To the uninitiated observer, you seem incapable of either intrigue or conspiracy. And you're willing to take absurd instructions, more or less unquestionably. Sometimes I want a bit of mayhem, for reasons of my own. And it's my opinion you would be an excellent agent of mine in that cause. I furrowed the brow and began to compose a protest, but I could see no way out that didn't involve facing down Aunt Annie. And did you know, chirped the sparrow, I have a small estate outside the city, dedicated entirely to the production of pickled radishes for my priests. Hope seized me, undeniable as a suddenly released tether whipping itself around the hind leg of a black and pink piglet, yanking my spirits aloft. Perhaps my fate would be tolerable. Perhaps even a bit more than tolerable. I don't suppose, I ventured, that there's any use trying to tell Aunt Annie she's got the wrong end of the stick. Ritterpick made a tiny feathery shudder. Let's think of happier things, which we proceeded to do. I am pleased to report that the benefits of this resolution of events extended itself to all involved. Nis continues her line in flying toys, with occasional advice and financial assistance from Ritterpick. An occupation that seems to please her. Aunt Dini, between the tax credits and the realisation of a cherished alliance with the Tastayos, became positively benevolent for an entire week after the nuptials of Arrays and Cousin Bayon, an event that also saw the dawning of a new era of peaceful relations between both myself and Cousin Athnal. I must, however, admit that our newfound mutual goodwill came at a sad cost to at least one actor in this tale. At the wedding I gave the happy couple as a token of my esteem and affection, 27 pounds of ham, 25 of sausages, and 50 or more of roasts and chops. Altogether, in fact, some 120 pounds of bacon. And welcome back, listeners. I hope you enjoyed our story today. It's now time for feedback on one of our prior episodes. In this case, The Nameless Saint by Willow Fagan, episode 315. The form response to this story was focused on the unreliable aspects of the story. 
Was what the nameless saint was capturing and calling miseries actual miseries? Or something else? Were the miseries necessary for people to have and to keep for themselves? Could we be sure her self-labeled good deeds were truly good? Was the woman ultimately a saint or a demon? Miyazaki and C.S. Lewis were name-checked. While several listeners expressed interest or delight in the ambiguity, such as M.K. Hobson, who called it thought-provoking, and Fire Turtle, who said, any story that provokes this much second-guessing is a winner in my book, there were still some detractors, such as guest poster Richard Babley, who wrote, the ending was so ambiguous that I have no clue what to say. I felt like it just wasn't clear. This week's story sparked some ideas or reactions in you, which you'd like to be able to share. You can do so at forum.escapeartists.net. There's an affable community of thoughtful listeners there who share their impressions of each of our stories, and you are welcome to partake. Share your favorite stories of ours as far and wide as you can. We work hard to bring you these stories. But it's the donors who make the pipe dream a reality. Thank you, donors. We say it every week, and we hope that you understand that repetition doesn't make it less true, but more so. Your money makes it happen. And if you listen and enjoy but have never contributed, please consider doing so. You, too, could be a part of making this happen. On behalf of everyone here at Podcastle, Peter Wood, Dave Thompson, LaShawn Wanak, Graham Dunlop, and myself, Anna Schwind, thank you for joining us, and we hope to share a story with you again next week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Comedian Penn Gillette said, Bacon is so good by itself that to put it in any other food is an admission of failure. You're basically saying, I can't make this other food taste good, so I'll throw in some bacon. Before she died, your dear mother asked me to look after you. I... I... <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll get it together in a minute. I do apologize.